Blessings, everyone. Welcome to Thee, O Lord, Be the Glory. With me are nurses around the globe. I have Kate Sherimani, and she is from UK. And I have Kristen Nagel from Canada and Rachel Seller from Virginia, USA. And the last but not the least, Dr. Kevin Corbett from UK. And of course, yours truly, Grace Asagra, originally from the Philippines, living in Princeton, New Jersey. So welcome and blessings again. Thank you for being with us today. My question is, who do you wish to be in this world? So we are men and women, nurses, coming together from diverse cultural, educational, economic, and spiritual background. Together, we have at least over 110 years of clinical experience, if I may say so. So we are empowered to share what we think is going on, what we have experienced, what we have observed for, from all those years of experience. And what brought us together, in my opinion, is that one is we have realized that we have the power to really learn how to heal ourselves. We have seen the flaws of the current system in help in, in, in the healthcare system. And so we didn't want to settle down for anything less. And we wanted to own that health and own our, our, own our recovery, especially being connected with everyone and being connected with nature. I'm sorry if you can hear a little bit of noise. Sometimes we don't have the full control with this technology. And also, we came together out of love and creativity. Love, believing that we are from the creation of someone, something higher than ourselves. Love because we really like what we do and we came to nursing because we like to take care of ourselves and for others and be compassionate. We came out of love and creativity because nothing, nothing limited us to express ourselves. And I know for a fact that this nurses with me didn't just wake up overnight. They've been doing this political work. They've been doing this warrior work. They've been doing this spiritual work for many years now. So welcome again. And what I will do is I will let them introduce themselves and then we'll just do like a round table so that they can share you what they have in their thoughts and in their heart. And remember, it's okay for you guys to send us your questions and comments. And if you like that nurses are coming together in this moment, please share it to other nurses and also share it to your loved ones because the nurse is the hub in a good health care system. I always say that all the others can fall apart, but the nurses will always be there and stand up for you. So let me pass on 
there's opportunity now to press them Nagel from Canada. Can everyone mute their mics, please? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. It's such an honor to be on this podcast with such amazing um, nurses, you know, that are here to create change. And uh, I'm a, I've been a nurse for 14 years, primarily in the neonatal intensive care unit. And I'm also a holistic nutritionist. So I have both experience on the conventional medicine side as well as the holistic. And I think that's where I definitely come about this is I just want to help people with actual health and well-being with more connection to mind, body, spirit through, you know, a connection with nature and um, herbs and plants and just food touched by the sun. And it can be really simple. So I just like to, like to get back to basics and bring that back into actual healthcare. And uh, do you want to say more now or shall we pass it on to another just to introduce us, you know, ourselves? Yeah, I think we can go through the introductions. There's going to be a lot more I'll yeah. say later. Yeah. Anyone wants to go next after Kristen? Rachel, would you uh, like I to? Think, can you hear me, guys? Yes. Oh, Kate, Kristen. Anyone? Kate, sorry, it's Kate's turn. Kate. She's frozen. Hi, if you can all hear me. Um, Go ahead, Kate. Well, I'm, I've been a nurse for 36 years. Okay. I've been a nurse for 30 years, and I had time out to be a full-time mom. And I've gone back in and out and done more training and, and returned to practice. I've worked in many clinical areas. But I was also privileged that I uh, worked for a major airline. Um, the UK's favourite airline for almost a decade and I flew to many different countries and saw many different cultures and it was actually um, to an excellent addition to my nursing career because it taught me that um, really although we, have, we were all the same, we're all beings, we're all bleeding, uh, we have different cultures, um, it comes to extreme trauma and pain be it physical, psychological, we all ultimately we act in a certain way which is cultural um some of the asian asian cultures is considered to be very respectful to be very loud when one's displaying um distress and and it would be considered rude to not be very verbal and loud about it but ultimately we're all exactly the same we all when it goes right down to it we all deal with the grief trauma exactly the same and um it was it was a really good thing for me to learn because as as nurses we can um, and and this is I, I say this and I can say very boldly that as nurses although we are supposed to be trained we we can make judgments now in that time of, of flying having my family and then coming back to nursing and having all mother as well actually being a mother profoundly changes you as a nurse it really does and um, and that doesn't mean whether you've you know had your own children biologically it might be that you've been um, had motherly instincts towards nieces nephews but that changed me again of how I saw things how I could empathize and, and any mother will tell you any nurse that when you see a child in the emergency room and um, it's life's being fought for you see your child lying there 
And um, so all of these things have happened. But as I returned to nursing, nursing had become very different. And it had that human element removed. And the way that everybody's trained now, it's not about a vocation anymore. It's about getting a degree. It's not about patient care anymore. It's about applying pharmaceuticals. It's about using the latest equipment and the latest technology. And uh, both Dr. Corbett and myself have spoken a lot about this. We were trained in very old ways, uh, Ropertini and Logan, and the activities of daily living. And they've now completely gone out the window. Um, and we do see nurses in specialities where they'll enter, like our end-of-life care nurses in the community, it's not their job to wash somebody, but they'll administer morphine, life, pain relief, the, the basics. And what, what I've seen is that nursing has completely, it's not nursing anymore at all. It's really not. It's high-tech industry. It's about making you sick, keeping you sick, um, leading you to death and disposing of you and charging you along the way. And the nerves are installed to facilitate that. They really are. So no longer is, is this a vocation where you take care of that as, as you would your own mother, your own sister, your own brother, your own father, your own child. And until we go back to that, we are literally circling the plot. And what Dr. Corbett and I have seen, particularly in the UK, with this um, pandemic, pandemic, is that nurses who were once held in high esteem and respected, and it used to be when I was very young, if, if you didn't go to university, you could always be a minor or you could be a nurse. And they were two professions and people would get their hat, their ticket, not by sitting in the university, they would get it when they became competent. So what's actually happened now is um, this is now and we're circling the plug hole and nurses are being viewed with, with complete disdain and disrespect and quite rightly so. When we see nurses dancing in, in the most, and even if people did believe that this was a pandemic and they were frightened for their lives, to see nurses then dancing in very choreographed routines is appalling. And me, nursing, it's losing its professional status. And before it was a semi-professional, I didn't have a problem with that. But it's losing its actual authority as being an angel, as being a carer, of, of being in a very privileged position of seeing life come into this world and life leave this world. That's what we're in a very privileged position to do everything that they could do if they had the necessary knowledge, will, strength to do it themselves, but we do it for them, to take them to a recovery or to a peaceful end. That's gone, and it's going out the window. And, and I, I am here uh, um, today as who I am, Kate Shamari, naturalist and toxic world, because not only am I trying to save this profession, but I'm trying to save this profession that was born out of a need of humanity, which we need someone to do for us what we cannot for ourselves in our greatest hour of need. Thank you, Kate. I can't hear yeah. you guys. 
that's okay, Kate. There will be more fun. And then you have a chance to check what's going on, you know? So, uh, yes, Rachel? Hello, everyone. My name is Rachel Seller. I go by the forensic nurse. I expose medical crime one misdiagnosis at a time. I'm a registered nurse in the and, and I'm licensed in the state of Florida. I'm also a Navy hospital foreman veteran. And after my nursing training, I did four years of natural medicine. I'm a naturopath and I help people reverse disease naturally around the world. This is an urgent update from the People's Nurses International. As the People's Nurse, I will expose the lies of the enemy and the doctrines of devils spread through government, scientific, and academic propaganda. This propaganda is designed to kill, steal, and destroy human life. They are the weird cult of science worship, a satanic religion that partakes in blood rituals of human and animal sacrifice for their vaccine sorcery. This is the sorcery from Revelation chapter 18 in the Holy Bible that has deceived all nations. Their satanic rituals include mask wearing, social distancing, six feet apart, spreading lies and fear to enslave the people. They are defiled with their own works and they go whoring with their own inventions. Inventors of evil things patent their ideas. Vaccination is penetration by the beast. Vaccines are infectious blood products that destroy your physical and spiritual bonds that God has put together. I have been invited to be a board member of the British Nursing Alliance led by natural nurse in the toxic world, Kate Shemarani and Dr. Kevin Corbett. I will share my knowledge of biblical healing and how to forensically collect and examine a proper medical history. I will teach how to thoroughly examine a patient, including their environment from head to toe. I will teach the most sophisticated protocols for natural healing and nano blood cleansing techniques using oxygen, light, minerals, and all natural medicine, addressing the root cause of disease and medical misdiagnosis. This is bedside diagnostics using our hands, palpation, and autonomic response testing. You will need no pharmaceutical drugs to heal and cure your patients. The knowledge I will share is world-class on how to heal and cure disease naturally. God promises healing and cure to his people. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 6. And with that, I yield to Dr. Kevin Corbett with the British Nursing Alliance. Amen. Good evening, and thank you very much uh, for inviting me onto this forum. I do feel very honoured and rather eclipsed by all the, the big stars here. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I started training as a nurse in 1986 in the United Kingdom in London, and I qualified in, in I qualified in 1986. I started 1983, so I've been in healthcare best part of 40 years. Um, I went to work in acute medicine, acute surgery, uh, coronary care, a little bit of intensive care, and I moved into infectious diseases and the HIV/AIDS field in the late 80s. And that was very uh, instrumental for my career development as a charge nurse and as a clinical nurse specialist for several years. And I learned a lot about the allopathic approaches, obviously, because that's how we were instructed. And 
I um, had completed a master's in nursing and I was working academically, teaching, training and also working clinically as a nurse specialist. And I learned a lot about the, the allopathic approach through the HIV AIDS field and the types of drugs, the very dangerous and toxic drugs that were being used at the time. And a lot of my patients moved away from those drugs and, and had other approaches, more naturopathic approaches, certainly non-allopathic. Many of them refused the uh, AZT and the other toxic drugs. And this is very instrumental to my development because I was part of the whole orthodox approach. And I took myself off to do a higher degree, a doctorate, looking at patients' experiences of testing with HIV antibody tests and the T cell counts. And also in the 1990s, this was the polymerase chain reaction test, which all HIV patients have even today. And this is something new in the 1990s. And it was the PCR test, the T cell count, and the HIV antibody test experiences that I used in my doctoral study at London South Bank University. And I qualified uh, in 2001 through the VIVA. And my study showed the patient's experiences of, for example, the PCR test were totally, utterly ridiculous. They were getting results that were completely different from one lab to the next, one hospital to the next, one clinic to the next. Even within the same clinic, they were getting different readings at different times of the week. Now, this is, was very interesting. And I realized through my research, because I went into the labs to find out how the antibody tests, the PCR and the T-cell counts were all done. I learned for the first time only as a clinical nurse specialist did I truly learn about what are happening in the labs and how there's a disconnect between the laboratory and the clinical. And the, the laboratories were working to algorithms, nothing to do with the reality of the patient, all based on risk perceptions, mostly all wrong. And patients were being treated as high risk when they were low risk. They, they, Bloods were being retested several times. And the more times that the test was carried out, whether it's the antibody test or the PCR test, there's more likelihood of positivity and more likelihood of variance. Just like with COVID today, the more amplification cycles you do at the PCR, the more likely you are to get a positive. Exactly the same happened in HIV 20, 25 years ago. That completely changed my view of allopathic medicine and medical testing and medical services. And I came out of the HIV field and went to work as a nurse educator, as a nurse teacher, and as an academic studying, researching patients' experiences of care. And that's what I did for a good over 20 years, the last 20 years. I looked at patients' experiences of all sorts of disease categories and how they dealt with it and how they incorporated lifestyle changes in relation to information mostly wrong information, how they moved away from allopathic and orthodox approaches. And it 20, year, 20 years ago, this work in my doctorate completely changed my view. And what we've seen with HIV in the last 20 years is this overuse of antiretroviral drugs. Many of the patients 
20 years ago, they changed their lifestyles, they became less toxic, they did health promotion, and they moved away from the antiretrovirals. And those patients did very well. They did extremely well. And if you look at the graphs and the data, it showed that long before the antiretrovirals, when people detoxified, changed their lifestyles, cleaned themselves up, and I don't mean just mentally, but physically, biologically, environmentally, they did well, they survived. And it's the patients that took the toxic, toxic drugs, who had toxic lifestyles, drug use, promiscuous sex. These are the patients that didn't do so well. This is very unpopular to say this, but I want to just finish on something that Kate Shamarani raised about how nurse education has changed. In the UK, we went, the nursing schools were incorporated much later than the United States and Canada into the university systems. They were never part of the university systems. They were invented by, originally by Florence Nightingale in the early 20th century. And of course, by the 1970s and 80s, they were being incorporated into universities. The universities took them over. The nursing students lost their vocational drive. They were not selected for vocational interest. They were selected on academic criteria. The entry gate for the profession became purely academic, nothing to do with intentionality and vocational uh, drive and intent. And that's been lacking for the last 30 years now. I've seen that in higher education in the UK. Our nursing students have become just like any other degree students. And I'm afraid it's lacking a vocational element and a vocational backbone. Now, it's possible to put that back in through independent approaches to regulation of the profession and through independent contractor status. Nurses can come away from being state regulated. Florence Nightingale, the most famous nurse in, in the world probably, did not want state regulation of nurses because she saw it would end in the evidence-based approach we've got today run by governments. So the governments would take over the profession and dictate everything to do with nursing practice. And that's why today we've got this tramline thinking driven by the university degree programs where nurses do not think outside the box. They cannot think uh, they cannot develop a care package for a patient based on history taking and their own clinical assessments because they're unable to do that. They need a protocol to drive them forward. And without a protocol, they can't do anything. And it's the protocol thinking and the protocol driven evidence-based medicine and evidence-based nursing that last year resulted in all the ventilator deaths that we've had with COVID. If patients were being assessed clinically, based on their histories and the symptomatic presentation, they would not have ended up on ventilators. So I'm all for review, renewal and reformation of the nursing profession. Indeed, I think what we need is a revolution in the nursing profession. We need a 21st century nurse that can incorporate and is, in, and is based on the tenets and principles of naturopathic approaches and integrated with that other approaches as needed, all based on the patient's own presentation. So let's go forward and let's make it a reality. I'm, I'm so honored to be part of this um, panel. Um, I'm already feeling so empowered and just passionate about our mission and what we're gonna do, just um, what you guys have spoke on. And, um, 
Dr. Corby, you mentioned a few things I wanted to touch on as um, I remember going into nursing school and I found some old journals and I wrote in there like, why just make the biggest mistake of my life? Um, because it was just not what I had pictured it to be exactly why you and Kate had mentioned just um, the actual aspect of nursing has lost its drive to like actually provide care. And now we're just kind of order takers and technology instead of actually being intuitive and providing that, you know, the human touch and connection that we should. And I've been kind of whistleblowing this for a while now, which um, got me terminated from my employment and placed under investigation by our College of Nurses of Ontario. So we formed uh, the Canadian Frontline Nurses here in Canada to kind of um, be the light to bring our voices um, together so we can be heard and make the change that you guys are all, all speaking of. Um, and it's interesting that you brought up the um, um, everything with um, HIV because that was kind of one of my last straws working with neonates is we have this past year really seen an increase in prophylactic antivirals being given to our newborn healthy babies just because mom might have tested positive with HIV or mom might have, you know, or mom didn't have her HIV test. So now we're prophylactically treating these healthy babies with those antivirals that you speak of. And um, I just, there's, there's just so much toxicity going into our babies as soon as they're born. And that's when I've been just, you know, whistleblowing and talking about this and, you know, it's led to my termination and investigation for my license to be revoked. But I think, you know, it, all these things need to crumble and fall apart so we could come together and actually bring a light to this and create something better, you know, where we all thrive and, 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 and actually care and help people. So thank you so much. I'm just, I'm honored to be here amongst all of you. Hey, thank you so much, Nurse Kristen, Canadian Frontline Nurses. Um, it's CanadianFrontlineNurses.ca, right? Um, check out their website, guys. If I could just share one quick thing. When I was 18 years old in the United States Navy, I was injecting newborn babies with hepatitis B vaccination. I never read an insert. I look back now and I realize that that was a cancer cell line. Okay, that was the immortalized continuous cell line that we've all been giving. And this is the grand delusion. Now in natural medicines, some quick things I can share with you when this whole scandemic started we were doing things like intravenous ozone, okay, super oxygen in the blood to kill pathogens. We do things like food grade peroxide intravenously and nebulized. We use colloidal silver nebulized. We use even frankincense and specific essential oils that can be nebulized. And I'm not here to give medical advice. These are all natural healing remedies that everyone can do at home, including ear, nose, and throat protocols two drops of food grade peroxide in the ears, okay? And making your own solutions with oregano oil and frankincense to clean the nasal passages, to spray the throat. And we have nano blood cleansing techniques. I was doing um, high dose ascorbic acid. And people know it as vitamin C. We, you know, we're doing the vitamin C. We have ultraviolet light that we can do intravenously to kill pathogens with UV light in the bloodstream. So all of this stuff, we don't need to be promoting pharma drugs because pharma drugs we know contain nanotechnology. I even found it in Cipro, the antibiotic that they give. And, you know, they have it in IV form and pill form. I'm like, well, which one has the nanotechnology? The pharmacists don't know. They don't read the inserts. And so the last thing I'm going to quickly say is I left my boyfriend of five years, the man that I wanted to marry and love, because we were divided over 
uh, the truth about vaccines. And the truth about vaccines is that they cause cancer, autoimmune disease, and autism. And that's mm. all I'm going to say for now. Oh, hello, everyone. Can you hear me well? Okay, cool. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's, it's, it's really impressive and it's heartwarming to have all of you. And you all know that it's been my dream that I can uh, have a live stream where I see all the frontline nurses. And so, because I don't feel like, I don't feel that I'm by myself. So I said, okay, there's, there, there's, a, there's, I, I, it's impossible that there's no holistic nurse. And when I say holistic, they better be holistic, seeing the whole narrative, seeing the whole picture. And I said, this is not the time to be a coward and not say anything. So when I heard, um, you know, Kristen being interviewed by, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. And of course, then I saw also uh, Kate being interviewed by, you know, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. And then of course, the office also led me to Rachel. And then now it led me also to Kevin. So it's one thing I learned in my whole life is when you have that intuitive feeling that you are on the right path, it will bring you and connect you to others. And, and that's what I want the, the listeners and the viewers to understand, because I know we're not alone. There's a number of you there who can see, who can observe, because that's one critical skill that as nurses we have. We are very observant. We are very intuitive. So all we do is claim that. And always remembering that there's a source, there's a God, whatever you call it, whoever you call that. And that's still the creation that I believe in. It's like there's a God, there's a source, there's a field, and then created the many um, planets and all the trees and the plants. And I said, you know, there's something lacking here. So now the man and the woman came. And so we are the man and the woman, and we're the man. So what do we have to do is now claim all of that. And in, since I grew up also in the Philippines in being exposed to indigenous medicine, I, I can't help but appreciate what nature has to offer. So even when I was in nursing, by hearing that when you have high blood pressure, you will never get rid of it. I never really believed that. Just because my foundation is faith, just because my foundation is divinity, just because the foundation is this is our body and it's sacred and you don't allow yourself to mess it up or other people to mess it up. So we are, we are created in the divine image. So whatever confusion we have at this moment and at work, then it is time for us to keep searching in our heart and i would say there is always a god courage in us and that god courage will always take us to where we want to be 
in the Philippines, I thought when I came to the United States, I said, oh, I'm going to the mouth of the enemy. My imagination is just like, you know, I was placed in on the whale, just like in the Bible. I said, oh, they throw me to the United States. But in my heart, there must be a purpose on why I came to the United States, even when I know about natural healing. And now I went deep dive to science. But that science of Western science led me more closer to indigenous science, led me more closer to what all these ladies and gentlemen have been saying all along. And earlier we had a conversation that we have to be the role models for that. We have to be the role models for health, we have to be role models for courage. And so, because again, people look up to nurses. So this is my message that I always want to convey. Being your own, reflect every health, every courage, every divinity that you want, that you speak of. Live your truth, you know, be the boots on the ground. And I, I always, I, I, and I appreciate when Kate sent me all those photos, they were with, with Kevin and, who, and everyone supporting them out in UK doing the protest. And of course, you know, Kristen is just right there and with Sarah and in Canada. And there's many other more nurses. I just haven't officially connected with them, but I, I trust that this, this forum is gonna grow more and stronger because we need to come together. We need to speak. We don't, it doesn't matter what the outcome would be, but we have to just keep doing what we need to do. Okay. And okay, so um, Kristen, how about, tell us more of what's going on now in Canada. Cause I know you're also involved with that church. Could you imagine when, when in the whole history of mankind, when there's some kind of disaster, some kind of revolution, what do we depend on? Faith and prayer and being in the community. So tell us what's going on in Canada when it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, especially where I am in, in Ontario, we're under very strict um, lockdowns that, um, you know, rumor has it are only going to get worse. They've shut off like our provincial border crossing. And, um, you know, they're looking at curfews and military checkpoints. They've moved military into our hospitals, apparently, to help out this third wave that, you know, we can speculate on what that is caused by. But um, yeah, and also there's a, a spiritual attack going on. And I know Rachel speaks on this quite quite a bit. And right now we are not allowed to gather to, to worship. Um, they say like 10 people max inside a church and said you, we, we took a stand and said, you cannot dictate that, you know, how we worship um, our God and how we gather and how we do that as a collective. And so on Sunday, there was probably about 200 people that showed up to a local church where I'm from. And it was amazing. There was myself, um, two government um, officials that are taking a stand against all of this, and as well as a retired OPP officer that came. And um, we were welcomed on stage and um, was amazing tribute that <laughs> brought me to tears. But after, after that, um, the five of us got um, summons and a criminal charge that we'll have to be going to court for um, up to $10,000. And it's, <laughs> it's my fourth one, actually, for <laughs> being summons for either organizing a rally or speaking at a rally. And now this latest one for attending church is, is, um, is now my offense. So that, that's where I'm And uh, there's another church in Canada that is um, gated 
They actually put a pastor in jail for two months um, because he refused to close his doors. Um, he was released, but they have um, put gates up around his church so they can't enter it. And the church we were just at this past Sunday, they're threatening to lock their doors and not allow anyone into the building. So we're definitely in a, a spiritual war as well. Mm -hmm. Before I pass it on to Kate, I I, I want to just make a comment of what you shared, Kristen. I remember when I was still doing a bedside nursing for 20 years in critical care, my number one um, tool is asking the family, does she have, does he have a favorite prayer? And I ask that from all faith. So I will, I have copies of Muslim prayers. I have copies of people who practice Buddhism. I will have that. I will ask them what's their favorite Bible verse or whatever verse. Because if nothing else, I can, I know that will, that if I repeat that together with the, or, or even sometimes they cannot even repeat it with me, but I just keep doing that. And the family, first of all, appreciates that. Second, there's always that energy that makes it much better for that patient and family. So thanks, thanks a lot for what you're doing with your church. Kate, how about you tell us more? Cause you know, tell us about that recent images that you sent me that you and uh, Kevin were looking powerful, sharp and really good looking nurses. <laughs> I, I'm only, I must apologise, um, I'm only getting half of what you're saying. Um, I just want to add, and I know it might have sound, sound out of kilter because I, I missed, I keep only getting bits of it. But going back to what, I'm going back to what Rachel said a little while ago before I answer your question, I'll let Kevin answer that, Dr Corbett. Um, there's something that's very important actually that, um, going back to what Rachel was saying about everything that's natural in healing, I had a really aggressive uh, breast cancer nine and a half years ago, lobular invasive grade three breast cancer. And after reading three studies, um, I found out that if I had everything on the menu, um, surgery, chemo, radio, tamoxifen, Zolidex, my survival was 20% at two years and zero at five. And I actually on day two came out of the hospital, turned my back on chemo, radio, tamoxifen, Zolidex, and I actually did all natural Gerson therapy, mistletoe injections, vitamin C, B17, Gerson therapies, 13 juices a day, fat-free, salt-free, sugar-free diet, five coffee enemas a day, two um, castor oil enemas a week. Um, I did, um, I did um, B17, I think I said that, B17 aura protocol. I did that for two years. I never wavered, never once wavered with four young children. What was interesting for me was every other health issue that I had, not just the I'd had a double mastectomy and reconstruction, but let those who've gone out there and said, well, the surgery cured it. Well, if the surgery cured it, why was I told I needed everything else, chemo, tamoxifen and all of it? But the point was that diagnosis, my eyesight was failing. I'm only wearing glasses now because I'm tired. In the morning, I can read perfectly. I had ectopic heartbeats. I had psoriasis in my scalp. Um, I had plantar fasciitis. I was getting fatter and fatter. And no matter how much exercise, I was still putting on weight and I had very very heavy menstrual cycle um, uh, very irregular um, I was anemic I had a low functioning thyroid which we discovered after I went down the natural route and I also was having um, 
very, very bad migraines that I'd been suffering from migraines from my 20s to the point where um, I couldn't function. I had to go home and lie down. Couldn't take the birth control pill eventually because of these headaches. Oh, as soon as I started Gerson, I've never had a migraine since. And every single symptom that I had disappeared, all of them. All of them disappeared. Within one month, my cycle was regular, 28 days and very light. Now, I had two older sisters and I was 46 when I began Gerson. At 48 and a half, well, just over 48, one month I had a menstrual cycle, the next month I never had one ever again. And I'm 55, 56 this year. One of my sisters still hasn't menopause. She's two years older and I have a sister four years older. I took no drugs to help me do that, but I did take freeing the sun. Chinese herbs on top of the Gerson and I cleaned up all the excess estrogens around me. Remember the estrogen hijacks the binding agent that your thyroid needs to convert cholesterol to pregnenolone and progesterone, the youth-giving hormones, progestin dampens that estrogen fire and bile acid. And we need that bile acid. It's like a detergent for the breakdown of fats, but it's also your gallbladder is required to convert your inactive T4 to your active T3. I was never taught that in nursing school. And what do we do with all these fat, fair and 40 women? We whip out their gallbladder. And as soon as we do that, then you're going to get other problems. And lack of iodine in the human body is the biggest, biggest cause of disease. The thyroid gland, all of your heavy halogens, chloride, bromine, fluoride, pushes iodine out of the thyroid. And where do we have evidence that children with goiter, inflammation, is one-to-one -one ratio boys to girls. As soon as the girls hit puberty, it's 10 to one, 10 girls to every boy. And, and that's because the breasts will pull iodine, they'll compete with iodine from the thyroid. I never knew any of that. I never learned that in nursing school. This is so crucial. Lack of iodine in the breast causes pain, tenderness, inflammation, nodules, cysts, cancer. The New England Medical Journal did a comprehensive 800 patient study proving unequivocally that fibrocystic breast disease was a precursor to cancer and yet all the charities in the UK for cancer state the opposite. So this is the bastardization of science. I always like to use Dr Kevin Corbett's term because it's perfect. None of us were taught that in allopathic medical school. We've been taught allopathy and the satire of the century with the allopaths with the quacks and the treatment would kill you and the naturopaths with the doctors and the disease would kill you. And what we've got now is we have, they take a pure ingredient, they find and isolate the active compound, make a synthetic version, put a patent on it, and that is our drugs. And that is what nursing is now. We are nothing more than pimps. That's exactly what we are. When I look back to the things that I've done in my nursing career, it's shocking. I was literally in there blind and deaf, totally. And at the age of 46 years, I learned true healing. I learned how to reverse disease. I don't know what I was doing before that. I really don't. I was just wiping up after Big Pharma because I knew for every drug there was a side effect and for every side effect they give you more drugs and this is it's so wrong and now they'll even get their customers in the womb by giving the pregnant mothers the vaccinations 
and this is murder. There's no other. There's no other word for it. It's witchcraft. It's sorcery, and it's murder. And nurses are the devil's advocates. That's what they are. That's exactly what they are. And they're no better. I call them the hospi kills. That's what they are. That's all they are. And I don't. I know that Dr. Corbett absolutely loathes hospices. And I. I've only been in a hospice once in my entire life because I don't know why I fear them. And I know I didn't know why, but I know now why. They just get rid of you quickly. It's like having your cat that's sick. I've got a cat wandering around here that's deaf and blind and senile. And at night it goes in a cage. But I wouldn't dream of putting him down. But this is where we are now. We don't want to see people that are cachectic. We don't want to see them at end of life. So we put them in a hospice. And it's done legally with midazolam and morphine. We literally put them down. And that is what's happening. It's vulgar. It's murder. And it's because we can't accept as human beings, and it's gone out of nursing, that in order to live, you have to accept that life is part of that. It's all part of it. Whether you're a baby, whether you're a toddler, a young person, a middle-aged person, being old isn't an absolute given. It's a luxury. People have died since time began, through all ages, God willing. God decides when we die. But we're being given the knowledge. It's all there in scripture. It's all there. Everything that we need to know, it's all there. B17, found in the seeds of the fruits of the trees. It actually, four molecules. And, you know, glucose, glucose, benzaldehyde, cyanide, totally inert, when they come into contact with beta-glucosidase, the synergy occurs. It's found in 3,000 times greater quantity in cancer cells. It goes in, it kills the cells, it filters through the liver, and it becomes an analgesic, an antiseptic, drops the blood pressure, and it's converted into B12. I was never taught that. How could I ever say I was a nurse? I wasn't a nurse. I don't know what I was. I became a nurse at 46 years old, not at 18. Thank you, Kate. Um, Kevin, I, I think I have a question. So technically, Kevin, with all your degree and with all your experience, you could have just been busy drinking the pool aid, right? And yet you well, well. <laughs> but you 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 took another turn. So why do you have to take a turn? And are do you regret taking this that turn? Well, Grace, that's a really interesting question. And um, technically, I'm a retired person. Technically, by definition, I finished, um, I was a senior lecturer for a long time, for nearly over 20 years. And I retired from the, I finished the university in the university system in 2016. And I was already doing independent research for what we call clinical commissioning groups here in the UK, who are, these are the funding agencies that work with GPs, general practitioners, but they work with other um, agencies as well, non, 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 out, you know, outside of the box. And um, I got really bored just doing the research. And um, I was doing qualitative and quantitative research, interviewing people online, you know, 
doing p tests on data and stuff and all the rest of it and i went back into being a nurse practitioner in 2018 because i got bored just doing the research and I, i'm in my 60s i'm i'm 67 this year and so i'm i'm not, i'm an old person technically but i don't feel like an old person and i feel like 20 still and i really wanted to go back to apply a lot of what I'd learned through my research into practice again because as a nurse lecturer in the UK you don't generally do much hands-on you're very hands-off you're advisory you do a bit of hands-on but not a lot because you go into clinics to give advice and to do mentorship and to do supervision work so in 2018 I took myself off I was retired I was bored I'm going to do some more clinical practice. I didn't want to do a staff nurse's job again. I wanted to do something a bit more diagnostic. So I put myself into nurse practitioner role, did a lot of training, brushed up my skills, did a lot of work with um, the nurses in, in the service that I went into. And the service that I went into was the London Metropolitan Police. I went to work as a forensic custody nurse working with the police in London, the people who are arrested, it's high morbidity and high risk of mortality amongst the detainee population in the London police stations. So I was like, a, I guess you call it an ER nurse in Canada and the US. So as an ER nurse, top to toe assessments, head to toe assessments, you have to be really quick. You can't afford to miss anything serious. And so I was like, you know, I was sort of like grease lightning. I was I went into sort of warp factor 30 to get up to speed. And after two years doing that, you know, I decided I, I ought to give it a rest. But it was really, really good for me because it was pure nursing. Yes, you, you know, it wasn't in a sense naturopathic, but you're dealing with injuries. You're dealing with emergency treatment. Uh, and so you have a, uh, you have an immediate effect on the patient. Your interventions can be life saving. You know, a lot of people would come in intoxicated of alcohol and drugs like cocaine and morphine. They would have cardiac arrests on you, respiratory arrests, quite common. Uh, you have m you know, major bronchospasms to deal with. And there's only you, a small defibrillator and a couple of airways an ambi bag and that's it no 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 real emergency drugs and paramedics at the end of the phone who take 15 minutes to get there if you're lucky so that was my job and i really really enjoyed it and i worked with some really experienced nurses uh, like kate who are nurse practitioners who've worked in er departments for a long time and why did I have to do that? I think, you know, why I'd, I've done what I've done is because nursing is in my family. Both my parents were nurses. There's a heritage in my family of nurses. My father was one of the first male directors of nursing in the 1970s in the UK. And my mother was an ER nurse and an ICU nurse for a long, long time. And so I picked this up from very young age eight or nine years old. I remember my parents talking about 
the ER department. My father was a psychiatric nurse, a, a director of nursing. We lived in a, a psychiatric institution, a bit like the ones that Irving Goffman talked about in the 1950s. We had patients in our house doing our garden. At the age of 10, I knew what schizophrenia was. I knew what um, I knew what the um, controversial psychiatrists were saying about orthodox psychiatry, that it was, um, it was um, you know, it was a bastardization of, of mental health, that the drugs and the ECT in the 1960s were very bad. So I learned all this about non-traditional approaches from my parents. And I think this enthused me in my career. And I've always been a whistleblower all the way through my clinical jobs, I worked in the 1980s and the 1990s with AIDS patients. I pushed to have patients intubated, ventilated when they were only offering them dimorphine. I would refuse to give it and I would do life-saving interventions. And I got into an awful lot of trouble. And I wrote about this. I fought the system. And of course, nowadays with the COVID, you can't stop them ventilating patients. It's the other way around. It's crazy. It goes into reverse. It's an inverse all the time. But I was always pushing for patients. I always pushed. When I was a clinical nurse specialist, I worked in the community like a visiting nurse. And I was a specialist. So I worked with other nurses and teams. And patients wanted to die at home. They did not want to die in hospitals. They did not want to die in hospices. And this whole specialization of death is just like making childbirth a, a medical condition. It's ridiculous. People die all the time. People are born all the time. They don't need hospitals. They don't need hospices. And a lot of my patients died at home. They could die with very little orthodox medicine or allopathic medicine. A lot of them died with their healers or with their own family around them, their own loved ones. They didn't need these high-tech medications and these sophisticated nurse specialists to titrate stuff through IV lines or through subcut pumps. And this is, this is important. And I guess that I've always, through my career, touched the areas that all of you are very expert on. You know, I, I'm not an expert in any way like you guys at all, uh, you girls, you women, because I don't have your experience. But I've touched on these areas all through my career, and I've pushed for a patient-centered approach. And I've often really had to fight for that and got into a lot of trouble. I mean, I was disciplined in the 1980s for crossing through diamorphine prescriptions that were intravenous, there were stat doses that would kill patients because they didn't want these AIDS patients to live. They were working with a view that AIDS was a terminal condition and their view of it was influencing their practice. They were creating what they thought, they were creating that which they saw in the textbooks and they were th taught to do. They weren't looking at patients and seeing what they wanted. And I've known a lot of patients to drop their HIV antibody status when they detoxify, they, take, they, they, they lose the toxicity in their body, they clean up their act, they change their lifestyle, they do a health-promoting approach. I guess you'd call that a naturopathic approach in the 80s and 90s. I don't think we use those terms so much then. And then they would, they would get better. And there were studies on this. There was a study of a whole group of of drug users, a quite a big study, which showed a lot of them tested negative and they did not die. They lived a long time. 
after they detoxified their lifestyle and their bodies. So I've known all these issues that you are very expert in, much more than I am. I've known them through my clinical career, and I've often worked with groups outside of orthodox medicine, community groups, like the, the Continuum magazine in London in the 1980s and 90s that was contesting the allopathic definition of HIV and AIDS and that the fact that the HIV virus had never been isolated. I published in that journal in the 1990s when I was a PhD student. I got into a lot of trouble. I worked with these groups and I just... I just did it and I got into trouble and I got through the trouble, you know, trouble comes and it goes. It's like the weather, you know, and uh, Kirsten and Kate, you know, you're all in the courts and stuff. And I am too. I'm in the courts over here for being in a group of six people. It was illegal uh, in the Boris Johnson Britain at the moment, you know, we're in a totalitarian state. But I think the thing is, we've all got this metal about us. We've all got this backbone. We can all fight for our patients. I've done it all my career. And, you know, I go to the consultants, I go right to the top and I get my view heard. And, you know, mostly, I hate to say this, and I'm not being big headed, but I was right. And I got my way, you know, patients that were put DNR in the 1980s, I got them changed and they lived four, five, six years. And this, a lot of nurses have done this all the way through their career. They've been patient advocates. They fought, they fought the system. They fought the doctors. They fought other nurses. You know, I work with brilliant nurses and brilliant doctors who likewise fought the system. There's a lot of really good people in the services who want to come out and who need a new way of practicing. They know that things are dying. The system is failing. It's dying. This is the last throes of allopathic medicine and the system that goes with it. And within that, people will come out like phoenixes. They'll be reborn, be a recrudescence of these old barks, these old trees that will grow new branches. And like you, I think, you know, you're the the nurses of the 21st century you show the way uh, the approaches you're using the systems that you're working with the spirituality that you're working through you're applying it, it comes out of what you're doing and I, I think that that's admirable it's probably what Florence Nightingale would have called a vocational professional nurse um, but remember these early nurses all had what you had they worked with natural remedies, natural treatments. They worked with a spiritual context to their vocation, you know, rather mm -hmm. like the church I go to at the moment in London. It's a Catholic church. I was brought up a Roman Catholic. They are not social distancing. They're not masking. They know it's all a scam. And they're going against the church authorities in London. And it's, it's run by Benedictine nuns who are vocational. And it's the most wonderful, wonderful environment to be in, to hear them sing, to hear them speak, and, and, to, and to, to have the priest give communion on the tongue in this day and age where we're being told that our, 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 we cannot practice our beliefs, our religion. This is ridiculous, you know. Um, the, one of the mothers that I talked to in, in, in the convent, she said she knew this was evil when they told her that mass had to stop. 
And, you know, for Roman Catholic, that's the worst. For other faiths, it's the same. We know this is wrong and we have to fight it. So I guess, you know, I've, I'm now tying up in, in as I've got a bit older. You know, I don't feel any older than I did 50 years ago. But, you know, we're older on paper. That means nothing, you know. I, I'm still the same and I'm fighting for patients' rights. I'm fighting for the rights of nurses and doctors and other healthcare professionals to come out of this box that they've been put in, that's this scientism of evidence-based approaches, which is really a straitjacket. It's a kill for proper nursing and clinical practice. Evidence-based approaches that end in protocol-driven care unthinking, tramline thinking, this is evil. It's it's the devil's work and it has to stop. So this is what I want to do at the moment. Uh, thanks a lot, Kevin. And uh, while you were talking earlier about your age, and then so I was thinking, I think uh, if I have to guess, it may be Rachel, who's the youngest in this panel. So that would be really nice to hear what the young nurse have to say. Because, and that's why I like this group because we all come from different ages. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in the indigenous um, culture and tradition, both ages are revered as mm -hmm. sacred, okay? Mm -hmm. we, learn from, we learn from the, the elders, okay? We, we're, we're advised to pay attention to what the elders have to say because they've been around. And of course, the youth, we have to listen to them because they're fresh and fresh physically, but their spirit has been way before us, okay? So they come with fresh eyes. So let, let's hear what, what, and also, Rachel, if I remember it right, you've been through also some medical issues and that, but you have overcome that. So go ahead and share to us. Well, in nursing school, I was actually quite addicted to a prescription drug by the name of Adderall. And most people are familiar with it. It's a stimulant. It's speed. And you know, I started asking questions. I'm like, are we really this behind that we don't know the root cause of disease? What I found was there was a, a doctor in my area who was famous for mold research. His name, uh, name is Dr. Marvin Spinagle. And I started to train with some of the most sophisticated practitioners around the United States. I worked with a compounding pharmacy. I did IV infusions. We were, we were doing infusions of plant extracts on ourselves with no problem and you know what we realize is all the people who've been vaccinated they've been infected with you know infectious pathogens parasites whatever is in the jab so we have lyme disease we have all these people misdiagnosed but at the root of that we had mold and you know the vaccines contain this genetically modified cloned mold and bacteria i had 26 year old patient um, you know, dysautonomia, so her heart rate would spike up and the blood pressure would drop and nobody could figure out why because she had aluminum in her brain from the vaccines causing a glitch in the neurological system. So when I started to read the vaccine inserts, basically it was my love for truth, which if you don't love the truth, these people are idolizing the doctors or idolizing the science. When you put something above the knowledge of God, that idolatry is blinding and it deafens you. So you know, people are falling into this delusion. God gave us every seed-bearing plant to eat as meat, and that includes cannabis. And what we can do, I mean, there's a, a tribe somewhere, I forget where it is, the United States. They had an injectable CBD. This is cannabidiol. All natural plant extracts. I mean, 
we are so we are light years ahead of what people know. We you know they've been suppressing cures and healing from the beginning. I have all kinds of research. There's a place called Cellquest in Florida that has banana stem extract. And Moffitt Cancer Institute suppressed the study. They knew they found that this banana stem extract was effective at you know reversing leukemia and different types of cancer that they studied, but they botched the study. They didn't want the public to know about it. And this has been going on forever, since the beginning of time. So all the natural things we have, we have minerals, we have light, we have super oxygen. If you go around to the natural clinics in the United States and around the world, they don't need any pharma drugs. We don't use them. I was the kind of nurse that I didn't want to do that. I was going to home, visit the patient in the home. I would do IV infusion, which I'm not even doing now because I found that I don't need to. There's other ways to cleanse the blood. But I was doing intravenous peroxide, food grade peroxide, and it was so simple. And what happens when peroxide hit molds? It bubbles up and it, it goes away. It, it dissolves plaque in the arteries. And why do we have plaque in the arteries? Because we're filled with these viral proteins from the, the vaccines that cause these blood clots, that cause all these disease. And it all starts from the vaccine, from the newborn babies. And I, and I had to repent for my sorcery for injecting those babies. Thank you for sharing that. That reminded me of uh, when you said about the hydrogen peroxide, reminded me of an African home health aide whom I know. And ever since this fear of the virus, she started making her ginger ginger lemon tea and was adding a little bit of baking soda and she was serving it to all her family. And also since the, the lady that she was taking care of was okay for her to get that from her and the family knows about it. And she was drinking also that ginger lemon brew tea with baking soda and so far so good. So she, she's one of those who are not scared to take care of patients and clients, vaccine or no vaccine. So I, I and, and, and uh, back to, to Kristen, Kristen, how's your children? Because I know you have so much experience on, you know, their children's and their wellness. And there are many mothers and nurses, and also, you know, those who are scared for their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have two like young boys, they're, they're five and two. And you know, they've been kind of leading me on my path as children do. And, and Kate had a, a very beautiful message at the beginning of this and, and how just um, our mindset and careers and everything changes when, when we have kids. And when I had my first son, it was what led me to become a holistic nutritionist. I just realized the importance of what entered his body had the ability to affect his DNA, his um, physical development, as well as his emotional and mental well-being, just right down to the cells of his being. And I really wanted to make sure, you know, that was a lot of responsibility that, you know, comes from the parent. And I wanted to make sure I knew everything that there was to know to make the best informed decision. So um, I entered holistic nutrition and that's when like all the light bulbs went off for me. I always felt like there was like something missing in, in nursing and I wasn't sure quite what it was. I has always been an outdoor person attached to nature and I was trying to figure out the gaps and, and that kind of put it together for me and just how much we, you know, in the allopathic, we put band-aids on everything. It's prescribed, it's symptoms prescribed, just, you know, um, here's your pill for this. Here's, here's this. And we're always suppressing 
um, the symptoms. We're always turning them off. And just from a basic understanding of a fever, fever is one of the most amazing things that our body does to, you know, fight off a pathogen or to go into the next developmental phase. And it's um, so amazing to be there for your child and support them through that. You create this bond with your child and it teaches them, you know, that you can get over hard things, our body can heal. And they create another like um, resilience, not just a physical resilience, but an entire emotional and um, mental resilience to, to life. And so I was helping my children and supporting their symptoms, um, supporting their fever through, you know, things like bone broth or even, you know, catnip tea, catnip's part of the mint family. And it actually is a diaphoretic that, you know, helps with fevers and a whole bunch of different things that we can do. And uh, I just noticed like even then getting like attacked on trying to offer these natural um, suggestions, people just, you know, are, are so indoctrinated that there's only one way to health. And as you know, from all of us in this panel, I think we all can agree that there's so many different avenues and there's so many modalities and you have to look at the individual person and see what's going to be right for that person. This whole idea of um, a blanket general statement to, to health and even, you know, what we're seeing right now in this whatever you want to call it, mess, <laughs> trying to think that we can treat everyone the same or call it all the same symptom is, is false. What we're seeing is an individual response to an individual situation. And we're just calling it, you know, the Rona, whatever you want to say during this. And we, we've removed the individuality out of care. And so with, with me, with the, the kids, I just, I want them to get back to to being kids, um, allowing their body to go through the natural phases that it should, being able to support them instead of suppressing them, letting them get outside and be dirty. And, you know, actually today I was hurrying back and even though it's raining, every Thursday we run a four school group with a, a huge group of kids. It started off with six families that didn't want to participate in any of these mandates and has grown to a hundred families. I'm pretty sure we had about 50 or so people out today and it was rainy the kids are out in the mud and we're just dressed appropriately and they're finding worms and bugs and you know mushrooms we're talking about foraging um edible plants that are available to us that we can you know that are there that you know from you know created for us to nourish our bodies and these are the experiences that kids need to learn and to learn um their you know physical boundaries as well as their appropriate reception and um, to connect to nature, connect to one another, and just experience and allow their imagination to grow in a very natural setting. And we allow them to free play and see what comes of it. And I just think, especially now, what we're seeing is we're not allowing kids to be kids. We're pushing a lot of academics on them at a very early age. We're taking away play. We're taking away imagination. And now with, um, I'm sure it's the same where, where you guys are as well, this push for the virtual learning. And in kids are, are sitting in front of a screen for eight hours a day. And, you know, it, and now they're, or if they're in school, they're, they're masked, you know, they're over sanitized. They actually, in some of the schools here, they took out the taps, the sinks. And so, because they thought that was an extra touch for them where, you know, to wash their hands. So now they're literally only allowing them to use um, sanitizer. And there's one right there <laughs> walking between, behind me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, I, I really want to get back to kids being, you know, kids and breathing naturally and, you know, and, and not killing our bacteria because we are more bacteria than we are human cells. We have a microbiome, we have a virome and this idea that we need to kill all these things around us. Like, 
if we fear all these things and try to sanitize and kill all these organisms, we're only killing and harming ourselves. So uh, I don't know, my kids are thriving. I did what I knew um, at the time, my oldest that just came in, um, he was um, vaccinated up to about 18 months because you know I thought I was doing everything that I was told to do until I went outside of what we were indoctrinated with um, with nursing. And I did my own research and my own learning and realized that there's a whole other world out there. And my second youngest son has had absolutely nothing. And the two of them will remain that way. And they're healthy and they're never sick ever. You know, and you hear about all these other kids with allergies and asthma and ear infections and whatever. And they're like, well, you know, but my kids are fine. It's like, hmm. but you know, they could be healthier. This whole idea of we've um, accepted normal um, or common as normal. And that that's not the case. Just because it's common does not mean normal. And we need to redefine what, you know, what normal is, what health is, you know, and you hear all these things, oh, oh, that was a healthy child that ended up in the hospital. Like, well, there's a lot to that. What's their background? What's their history? Let, let's look at the bigger picture here, right? Um, so just because it's common does not mean normal. And I think we need to get back, which this group is doing is redefining what it actually means to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, I was uh, thinking maybe we could uh, have our last um, wisdom or advice or what messages do we want for people to hear a message for the general community, for or for the nurses or for, you know, and especially maybe for those who are struggling also on where, where they could be empowered to be connected. And, and as well as, you know, because everyone seems to be being bullied. When you are trying to speak your truth, either they bully you in, in a way that is like uh, they use all the words that, you know, suits them, like threatening about the license, etc. And so and I know some of you have experienced that directly. And so um, I think it would be good again to hear from you what they others can do anyone rachel you want to speak yeah sorry um god did not give us a spirit of fear he gave us a spirit of love power to sound mind the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and when we start to understand that that's when we become knowledge that's when we have understanding i want everyone to know that you can heal yourself naturally at home there's been a grand illusion at play for the longest time. We've all been indoctrinated and we've all been um, basically taught these doctrines of devils. So we need to unsubscribe to the beast system. Know that you can take authority over your health. And we are here to empower nurses and healthcare practitioners. But also, you need to start reading the inserts, every ingredient, and understand that these are tools of Satan that defile the holy temple. That we never needed vaccines and that they were always bioweapons. And that's why we have disease today. Keep going, anyone. I'm gonna put Kate on the spot. I think, it, I think Kate needs to come on in. <laughs> Final thoughts, Kate. I'm not sure she can hear. Kate. Hold we on. should, me I'll shall message I, her. Shall I, I say can... something while you're... Uh, I, I, I think I the, can't really the hear important thing very is... very much of what's been said. Uh, 
Oh, go ahead. I'll, Please. We'll let it be ready. Go ahead, Kevin. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay. Oh. When, when, when we talk about holistic care, this is on the this is on the tip of tongues of many nursing students in universities and and practitioners in hospitals and clinics and they think they're doing holistic care they think they're holistic practitioners and what i'd say to that is okay do you think you are really a holistic practitioner think about this you're working within a very tightly defined protocol that's allopathic is underwritten by an allopathic epistemology, which is an allopathic knowledge base about foundation and epistemology, which is totally allopathic and totally funded usually that knowledge by the pharmaceutical industry in terms of the research. Very often, very often. So it's not really holistic. It's driven along allopathic tram lines and driven by protocols. I worked for four years uh, in the mid-2000s uh, in Uganda, in East Africa. I was on a project that was funded by the British Council, and I was one of the principal investigators. I was the co-investigator. And we were working with services that were called hospice services. We were working with public health department within a Ugandan university. And I saw that uh, people living in the rural areas, the non-urban areas, were using traditional uh, endemic practices from healers. And I saw uh, that a lot of the day-to-day -day care and treatments were indigenous, were known for centuries in that area of, of the world, and they worked. And my allopathic colleagues weren't interested in it at all, except when it took the workload off them. So what they'd say was uh, uh, non-organic psychiatry presentations, the healers can do that, but everything else we've got to have. And so this is all what you see with what's called the Rockefeller medicine. And I know you, you guys use that term a lot and I've learned a lot about it in the last couple of years. But the reality is it's funded by pharma, you know, indigenous practices, therapies, natural remedies that have been known for a long time have been used by people all over the world. And many of them haven't called themselves nurses or doctors. It's been called folk medicine in the anthropological literature, whatever. It's all out there. The truth is out there. And that's what we need to use for 21st century nursing it's what you've all been doing you the five the four of you on this zoom apart from me you've been doing this a lot longer and you have a lot of expertise and that is what we need to tap into and i can see this as an educator and once nurses in orthodox services see this they'll realize what they've been called that what they've been calling holistic nursing is actually more of a handmaiden to allopathic technical medicine and that's not holistic nursing and it'll be like a you know a, a light in their lives they'll they'll open up and they'll be able to learn and grow and develop and there'll be a spiritual development there a vocational and spiritual development 
and I hope a Christian development uh, for them in the future. So I think that's that's what I what I'm seeing happening now. I'm seeing the light going on. We're talking to a lot of nurses here in the UK, Kate and I, on a daily basis, and they're all mm. becoming more aware, more conscious. They see the COVID scam as a wake-up call. You know, the end stage. It's the end game of a technocratic medical system that is failing and failing badly, like watching a car crash happen and you can't do anything about it. It's a sad thing to watch, mm. but all you can do is pick up the pieces afterwards and make something new in its place. And I think, I think everybody on this Zoom, that's what we're doing now and that's what we're going to succeed in doing. I can hear that better now. I heard all that, Dr. Corbett. Um, yeah, what Dr. Corbett and I are seeing are, we've initially seen nurses who were going along with things and then very quickly they saw that what was actually unfolding was lies. Now it's become very much their backs are against the wall because many of them know that this injection is indeed not conducive to health or well-being, just like every other actually injection. Um, that they're termed vaccines, but of course we know that never, one, one has never been proven safe, one has never been proven effective, and no two have ever been tested for efficacy. Well, now a lot of these nurses are seeing actually that they cannot provide care, they cannot be what they believed to be a nurse, that they are, first of all, uh, I had a nurse yesterday tell me that she's been told at work they have to say no mask, no treatment, no test, no treatment. And very soon it will be no vax, no treatment. And so actually, when we are told to preserve life until it can no longer be preserved and to assist a patient in their physical, psychological um, and spiritual well-being to a full recovery or a dignified pain-free death, we can't even do that because we're actually being told to, um, in a way, harm patients. That's what was actually happening. And nurses now are realising that they are indeed complicit in a crime and we know that um you know the last time in history when we saw a, a do not resuscitate on the elderly a do not resuscitate on the disabled and this will move down other uh, parts of society was in the second world war in nazi germany and the very people who facilitated the killing of the gypsies of the jews of the disabled of the blacks of the homosexuals of the jehovah's witnesses of the christians russians poles i could go on Nurses had a huge hand in this. It was the nurses that killed the disabled adults and children but via a lethal injection, concoction of drugs, by putting them outside and leaving them to exposure, the elements of exposure, and also by removing um, all food and water. And those nurses did indeed stand trial at the Nuremberg trials. Now, what we do see, uh, and I'm sure Dr. Corbett will, will agree with me here, is doctors very much stand together. Anything goes off, they all go in one corner and they point, it wasn't us. Nurses historically will run in all four corners and point at one another and go, it was her, it was him, it wasn't me, it was them. And they don't stick together. They really don't. And we also have a culture of whistleblowing on one another. That's what we're supposed to do. Instead of helping one another, it's about whistleblowing. Well, right now, we do need whistleblowing. But actually, to whistleblow and then to continue working in the environment, which is what's happening. Dr. Corbett and I have seen this. It's like saying, as Dr. Corbett said, well, actually, I work in a gas chamber and I turn on the gas tap, but I've got a mortgage and children 
and I need the money, so I'm going to go back and work there and switch that gas tap back on. So while ever you are still in this system, assisting in killing patients, because that's what's happening, um, you are complicit in a crime. And we've seen the nurses be vilified once and take the rap for it, which they did, the Nuremberg trials. And this is going to be happening again. And a lot of nurses are now seeing this. They're starting to see that whenever they give you a rainbow and they make you a hero, this is like no hide laws. They're going to kill you and kill your profession. And this is actually what we've seen. We've seen nurses laughed at in Parliament when they asked for a pay rise, not so long ago, within the last couple of years. And now they were told they were heroes and they believed they were going to be rewarded for this. And now they've just been given a pittance of a pay rise just the same. But what's happening is the public are being turned against them. And quite rightly, the public are afraid to go into hospital. And I'm seeing more and more patients come to me, even pregnant women. They don't go to the hospital because they are now testing the mothers just like they did with HIV. And if that child comes out and tests negative with the PCR that's not diagnostic, they're removing the children. We now see married couples who separate or unmarried. And if one parent doesn't want the child vaccinated, the other one does, that child's then the parent, they have a thing now in the UK, you don't get custody, it's shared parental responsibility and what they're doing is they're removing that parent's right to see their child and they can only see that child with supervised access so this is what's all happening now and nurses are finally seeing wait a minute they're going to take the rap for this because patients are telling the truth relatives are telling the truth other nurses are telling the truth and it doesn't matter what way they look at it morphine and midazolam sales in the uk have gone through the roof the UK government purchased all the midazolam from France. Where's it gone? And so who is, who is administering this? Nurses and doctors. Our elderly have been murdered in care homes and they've been murdered in hospitals. And patients with other comorbidities have been murdered. And who ultimately has been murdering them? The nurses. This is exactly what's been happening. And one thing that I've learned in my life is the truth always outs always outs and the nurses are going to have to choose which side of history do they want to be on they're either in the light or they're going to be facing god's laws because the laws in this country are based on god's laws and the public are very angry and they're going to drive the punishment in this and dr corbett and i know there's now a huge void in the healthcare system they're breaking up the nhs there's not going to be any care nothing and so Patients now are not being diagnosed with cancer. They're just not. They're saying that breast cancer's gone down. Never in the past 20 years has breast cancer gone down. Every cancer, I think, bar two, has exponentially risen. By 2050, all the main charities, those crooked cancer charities that rob the patients anyway and rob the rest of the people that give to it, are stating that cancer will be 100%. In the UK, it's one in two. In America, I believe it's the same, one in two. And yet that's about to rise to 100%. So breast cancer diagnosis is not happening. It's not that cancer's going down. It's just these women aren't being diagnosed. This is just one type of cancer. Although cancer's all the same, but this is one area. Which means that by the time these women present, they're going to have open tumours. They're going to have secondaries. They're going to have tertiaries. And their chances of survival is going to be rapidly diminished. Well, one could argue that not having chemotherapy is a blessing 
because in one study of 92,000 patients at 10 years for all different cancers, those, all of them had chemotherapy. There was under 3% still alive. So there is a niche here. There is an opening for real, true healing to be administered. And this is a time to get all of those nurses and say, choose your side of history and retrain them and get them doing real nursing and train the families, train all of them. Because that's what we need to do. We need to go back into the homes. Pregnancy is not an illness. It's not an illness. Dying is not an illness. It's part of living. And these are things that we need to put back in the homes, midwives in the home. Teach the families, small communities, get small communities together of women. Like in, in the UK, we used to have the wash houses. No one had a washing machine. And all these women would go to the wash houses once a week. And there used to be a little creche for the children. These children would intermingle, get to know one another, play, learn, love. That's how they learn interaction. The women would come together once a week with other women in their communities. I mean, it's quite funny when you, you watch the old footage on YouTube. I'd, I'd say to everyone watching this, please go watch it. The wash houses of Liverpool. You see these women having a cigarette <laughs> in amongst all the dry laundry. But the point is, they went there and they learned from one another. They supported one another. They supported one another through the baby blues. When they have a baby, that initial period after that month when your hormones drop and you feel sad. All of these things have disappeared. People are isolated. People are told to stay in the homes. People go to hospital and have their babies like it's some illness. People take their children to the clinics with the health visitor and the nurses where their babies are weighed using charts that were devised by formula milk companies. These babies are always heftier. So the breastfed babies are lighter and the women are made to feel like they're not doing it right. They're not feeding their babies properly. My, my, I had twins. The boy was on the 99th centile. The girl was on the, the first centile. It was like a, a melon and an apple, their heads. And they're still like that. One is six foot seven, one is five foot three. But this is where you've got witchcraft and sorcery and nonsense taking over. You know, I was told, you know, I couldn't breastfeed very well. So I used nipple shields. I was told not to use them. I ignored them, carried on using them. And my babies grew beautifully. So you see, by these interventions, all of these baby clinics in the UK are funded by the formula milk companies. Get them out. We were given breasts by the creator to feed a child. That's exactly what they're for. They're not for blokes to ogle. They're for feeding our children. So, you know, if they want to ogle, that's fine. Fun bags, whatever you want to call them. But ultimately, they're for feeding a child take the sexuality out of it, do what they're supposed to be. You know, make this not dis... Do you know you can't even get your breast out and feed a child in a court? Poppycock. I did. I did it. I got them out. I fed one. I put a blanket over my top. We need to go back in and teach women in their homes, not bring them into hospital to have a baby and then ship them out on day two and go, right, off you go. Get home and deal with it. Get the fact, the Asian community are fantastic. They have loads of aunties. Everybody's an auntie. Mum, dad, sister-in-laws, sisters. The women all come around that child and help the, the mama. And the men go off and take the man. And we've lost that. 
I've never known a man. In fact, Dr. Corbett can tell you about this. Firstly, for me, personally, I didn't want any man looking at my foo when I was giving birth. You know, somebody once said it was like watching his favourite pub burn down, watching his wife have a baby. And Dr. Corbett worked in a clinic and said that he saw lots of problems later in relationships and sexuality because, because men are being forced to do something that's not right. We've emasculated our men. I don't want to see a man vacuum. It's just my personal opinion. I want to see him outside digging. But we've emasculated our men. We need to take nursing back to what it is. Let our men be men and let our women be women. Bring, out, bring everything back to what it was. It's all gone. And, and, you know, if you read scripture, it's all in there. It's the most fabulous book and the oldest book that was ever written. Bring it in. Let's get our communities back to being small. Let's bring these women back together. Let's have the nurses just perusing amongst them, listening. Let's see the children together. And let women, let's teach these women and let them go on and teach their daughters. Because that's what they can do. Final thoughts. Thank you so much, Sister Kate. I just, I love you so much. I love all of you. And I'm just so thankful <laughs> to be here. Honestly, you make me laugh. And... The last thing I want to say is that People's Nurses International, we're here united in the spirit of truth. God says for us to be of one mind and one judgment, let there be no divisions among you. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So we cannot be divided over masks and vaccines, all this silly stuff. The Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss. Love your neighbor as yourself. Through love and through the spirit of truth and unity, we are going to do this. We have authority over the enemy, the Bible says. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Okay? We don't need a license to heal the sick. Thank you. I don't have too much to add to all the amazing um, amazingness that was already said. I just I think it's so important that we have been um told since you know conception like women like you said kate um that birth has become a medical intervention and right at conception where you know women are told oh to get appointments and ob checks and all these things we're, we're taught to um not trust our intuition we're taught that our gut instinct is not right we've been taught to hand over responsibility of ourselves responsibility of our bodies responsibility of our health responsibility of our babies and right when our babies are born immediately we're taught that our bodies are not good enough that our bodies are weak that we need synthetic man-made injections to make us stronger and this has been instilled from us right at conception and right at birth that we are not good enough that we were not made properly and this couldn't be further from the truth is everything that was shared today. Psalm 139, Rachel, I feel you could quote this better than I can offhand, but basically we were created perfectly. We were created in you know, divine image and we have everything that we need within us. We are capable of healing. We are capable of health. We are capable of you know, knowing our, our bodies to listen to our intuition, to listen to our gut instincts. We are not wrong. And we need to get back into coming within. We need to take back that responsibility that we've given away. We've been victims for too long and now it is time to be empowered. We are no longer victims. We are brave, we are capable, we are empowered and everything that we need comes from within us. And that is what I would like to see going back into the future of this new paradigm that we are gonna create because that was made on lies and evil for over a hundred years, if not longer. And it is time to unlearn. It is time to watch that crumble and it is time to move forward with new light and new mission in, in truth and in health.
So thank you so much. I'm so honored for what everyone is doing here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, there's not a lot of words to add, except a reminder that we have to be on the lookout and that we shouldn't live in fear and we, we have to stop being programmed, okay? Be programmed and pay attention to certain words because some programming comes in those all words, okay? And, and Kate and others already asked the question, which side of history would you want to be? Who do you want to be in this world? And just keep remembering, because I know all the nurses keep saying it's energy, it's frequency. Yes, so everything that you do, sooner or later, that comes back to you, okay? So there's always an accountability. So it's up to us. And, and I'd like also to share what uh, Rachel sent me earlier. And it says from Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay? Nothing. And if you can always remember that, it's okay. We can let go of other things, such as if they take away thy license. You, you know, and eventually it may be a blessing. There's so many stories like that because we reach out and now to the real truth. It's just like I, I started to read less book and just keep on receiving messages directly from the field, from the spirit, from God, instead of like reading someone else's book other than the scriptures. So in my language, I say Mabalos says thank you. And thank you to all of you viewers and thank you for your comments and being there. And I know we would have done it better technolo technologically, but that's just the, the game. We are in the game and we have to know the game. And to know the game, we have to know who sets the rules. And in those rules, we can set our own rules. So be, be ready to and skillful for the game. That's it, <laughs> marvelous. Thank you all. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let's see. And someone said, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. Hey, Kate, we, we miss you, but I know you're, you're the most challenged technology right now. We'll do it again in the future and it will be better because this is just the beginning.